When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 23rd. It has been an absolute delight to have a front row seat to just about all of this week's WTA and ATP tour level action. The reason I describe myself as having a front row view is that I've been so fortunate to be one of the broadcasters for Tennis Channel's T2 streaming service this week. I'm serving on the 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific time shift. As such, I've gotten the chance to watch just about all of the action that's unfolded in Dubai, in Doha, in Marseille throughout the course of the week now in my spare time. I'm also following the WTA 250 in Mexico, the ATP 500 happening in South America, and I think it's been a pretty good week of tennis across the board. Now, it always helps to have a 1,000-level event as we do on the calendar this week, the women competing in Dubai at that 1,000-level event, looking at the semifinal field. I mean, how can that not be the lead of today's show? You've got Iga Swiatek taking on Coco Gauff, a WTA next-gen rivalry du jour, as well as a 2022 French Open final rematch. And on the bottom half of the draw, you've got Barbara Krejcikova, earns a massive three-set come-from-behind victory over Sapalenka today. She's going to face maybe the most consistent non-Iga player on the WTA Tour over the past 15 months in Jessica Pagula. Yeah, that's a 1,000-level caliber semifinal field. That is going to be a really fun championship weekend of play. And on today's show, I want to talk about how we got to the semifinals of that event in Dubai, of course. We've also had some fun in Doha, have we not? Certainly, if you are an Andy Murray fan, yes, you've lost some hair. Yes, you've had your heart pound at multiple times throughout the course of the week, but Andy Murray's into just his third semifinal since the start of the 2020 season. Murray, another three-set victory today over the 25-year-old Frenchman Mueller. I was fortunate enough to be on the broadcast of that match from start to finish. I have numerous thoughts, not only on Murray's level, but again, the tenacity, the fight he's shown, how I think he'll match up against Lehechka tomorrow. I got thoughts on all the action in Doha, including, of course, the wins from Medvedev from FAA, and then most notably, Yuri Lachetchka continues to rock and roll, this time via a three-set victory over Andre Rublev, the 2023 Australian Open quarter finalist, 2022 next-gen finals finalist. He's capitalizing on the momentum that he's built, and long-time listeners of the Mini Break podcast know I've been on that Lachetchka bandwagon for a while now. I'm not going to say I invented it. I want to give a shout-out to Damian Kust, who, of course, I have spoken about Lachetchka many times with. Uh, But again, it's a fun semifinal field in Doha, so I want to get into that event. I also, of course, want to talk about the action in Marseille. Leandro Reidy was really good against Hubi Hercots today. If you haven't been watching Reidy, haven't been following his challenger 25K results, all the former 
junior Australian Open doubles champion, junior French Open singles finalist, former world junior number six, and now 21-year-old has done over the course of the last 52 weeks, excuse me, is win matches. He's done a ton of winning over the course of the past year, and you saw the confidence he played with shine through in his ultimately three-set loss to Hubie Hercots. And again, I got to call the first two sets of that match as well before we hopped over to Murray. Uh, And I have takes from what I thought Rady did well, what I think may be his struggles moving forward. But then, of course, how Hubie responded was really impressed with world number 11 today. So we'll get into that match as well as all of the kookiness feels a bit hyperbolic. But you know, we've had some funk in Marseille, and certainly with Yannick Sinner pulling out of that event, where things go from here will be fascinating to project, given just how many unseated players remain in the draw. So yeah, we're going to offer thoughts again on Dubai, on Doha, on Marseille, and then we haven't yet talked about the WTA 250 in Mexico. I'll be honest, it is the event I've followed least closely. I do want to offer some thoughts as I did try to play catch up watching some highlights. I Feel good about my Katie McNally take from early in the week. If you listened to my podcast with Nate Walrith on Tuesday, you know I thought McNally was going to go ahead and win this event. She hasn't done that, but she hasn't lost it yet either. And, I mean, we've reached the quarterfinals, the business end of the event. So we'll talk about McNally, the other players who have thrived. Now, you'll notice I did not mention the ATP 500 in Rio. This is where I owe some of you an apology. If you listened to yesterday's show, I promised a two-mini break Wednesday. Unfortunately, some scheduling issues got in the way. I can ensure you all it will be a two-mini break podcast Thursday. I've already sent the Zoom link to David Gertler. We're going to talk specifically about the South American ATP clay court swing. So no Rio thoughts on this pod. But again, I swear to God, I swear on my mother, I swear on my father, I swear on the whole Gruskin family. I was going to make a joke, but some of you will take it too seriously. Okay, this is a joke, but it, it's a good joke, so we're going to say it anyways. I swear on Michigan tennis. Um, you see, that's funny because, again, nowadays I'm not biased, so college tennis fans might laugh at that. Um, I promise you that it's a too-many break Thursday. Like, I, I don't know how else to ensure it. The Zoom link has been sent, so David Gertler will be joining me to talk South American clay court swing. But, again, we're going to talk about the four other ATP WTA tour level events happening this week on this edition of the Thursday mini break show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here today and day in, day out on this podcast is because of the support we get for for, for and from, but really from is the proper grammar. All of you listeners, we're so grateful. So many of you turn to us day in, day out, not just on this show, but our Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed. I know some of you also listen to the show. Gil Gross and I did breaking down every episode from the first five of the new network. Netflix docuseries Breakpoint. We're just immensely grateful for the support we get from our Cracked Rackets family. And obviously, we're looking forward to doing even more things in the coming months. Be on the lookout for more announcements on our Cracked Rackets social media pages. It's exciting times here at CR. And the only reason we get excited is because of the support we get from all of you. Of course, a shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. I'll keep this one quicker. They're the OGs. We would not be where we are today without them. The way you can support them for all of your tennis equipment needs, go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. But seven minutes of introduction is long enough. So let's talk some tennis here on today's show. Let's start with the 1,000 level action in Dubai. It was a little bit disappointing 
you know, again, of a day given we saw a couple of withdrawals. Karolina Pliskova forced to withdraw prior to the start of the day with illness. Karolina Mukova forced to withdraw as well. It was funny. You know, both of those players from the Czech Republic, someone made a joke in the control room. Should we make the graphic checking out and spell it C-Z-E-C-H-I-N-G, checking out because two Czech players forced to withdraw on the day? Obviously, that was not the move. Um it would have been a fun play on words, but obviously, unfortunately, each of those players out with illness, and there does seem to be something going around, not just in Dubai, but I think in a couple of places right now, and it's a stark reminder. We are still playing amidst a pandemic, right? And, you know, it's a lot of travel. It's early in the season. Everyone's immune system's getting acclimated to life back on tour. Oh, we're just hoping everyone stays healthy. Everyone recovers. Obviously, with the sunshine swing ahead, you can understand players making conservative decisions with their body, with their health, given you have back-to-back 1,000-level events in Indian Wells in Miami. You don't want to mess around. And so, again, Pliskova, Mukova, forced to withdraw. That means Sviantek, Pagula, advance. And honestly, for Iga Sviantek, it's another withdraw uh, advancement, which I don't say jeeringly, but... I say to say she didn't really need the day off. Like she played three matches last week on her way to the title. You know, she she played Fernandez, Samsonova. So she's gotten two matches in. I'm sure she doesn't not appreciate having a day off, particularly after being at an event and being on this run for as long as she has been. But, you know, again, for Pagula, it kind of was a much needed day off. Pagula obviously played a ton of matches last week as well, making the final in Doha, she gets wins over Sakari, Haddad, Maya, Ostapenko there. Hadn't had the most rigorous pathway to the quarterfinals here in Dubai. Played Tomova, played Bogdan. But, you know, again, to play six matches in a 10-day span, Jessica Pagula certainly is going to be appreciative for the day off. Now, obviously, no one wants to advance in these circumstances. That's not the sentiment I'm trying to express. But just again, to update on how those two reached the semifinals, Sviantek wins over Fernandez, Samsonova, which I talked about yesterday. She's dropped three games. I don't think she needed the day off. Jessica Pagula, I think, will certainly have valued having that day to rest, to recover, to get herself prepared for Barbara Krejcikova in the semifinals. And that's who I want to start with when we look at Dubai. Krejcikova, a love 6 7 6, six one victory come from behind over Arena Sabalenka. I mean, you look for Krejcikova by reaching the semifinals here this week. She's back up to number 26 in the live rankings. You look for Krejcikova perhaps more pressingly since, you know, again, the start of her post-U.S. Open run. Because for Krejcikova, you look for her, obviously, 2022, a disappointing season given where she was in 2021. Now, she ultimately finishes the year 25 and 15 overall. And, you know, after missing, what, from February to Really, the start of the grass court season, she played Roland Garros. That was her only clay court event during the clay court swing. You know, she was out for four full months last season with injury. It's going to take any player some time to reacclimate themselves to life on the pro tour. But you look for Krejcikova now since the end of the U.S. Open. So since September 26th on the calendar, Krejcikova's put together a hell of a run. 18-5 and overall for Krejcikova during that stretch. Wins titles in Tallinn, in Ostrava. Uh, obviously now a semifinal appearance here in Dubai after wins over Begu, Kasakina, Kavitova, and now Sabalenka just to get to these semifinals. I mentioned the 18-5 record. That sounds good. 
you look at the five losses. She lost three and four to Kalinskaya in Guadalajara. That was after, you know, a week after her back-to-back title runs into Lynn in Ostrava. So we're going to call that a schedule loss. Two and five loss in, to Kasekina in Adelaide to start the season wasn't the greatest, but first tournament of the year. Who cares? She loses five and two to Pagula at the Australian Open. Not a bad loss. Five and six to Samsonova in Abu Dhabi. Samsonova made the final in Abu Dhabi. She loses 7-6 in the third last week to Kudermatova. I don't think you can ever call a 7-6 in the third loss to a top 12 player a bad loss. She also has wins in this stretch over Kontave, Bencic, Haddad Maya, Rubakina, Sviantek, Kvitova, Kasekina, now Sabalenka as well. That sounds like a top 10 player to me. And the eye test certainly confirms that's who Barbara Krechikova, uh, Krechikova, excuse me, has been. See, my brain is short-circuiting. I can't even get through names anymore. Uh, that's who Barbara Krechikova has been since the start of her post-U.S. Open run. Again, this is now three months of play consecutively. 18-5, and five, you win 78% of your matches and rack up. How many top 20 wins is that during this stretch? That is not an insignificant amount. 18-5 and five overall, 7-4, seven and four, seven top 20 wins in an era where Again, it feels like there are 36 top 20 players. I said we we curtailed that list down from 45 to 32 to the 36 range, and she's got seven top 20 wins over this stretch of time. Uh, again, you look for Krachikova. Uh, she, again, was broken three times right out of the gate. She got broken once in sets two and three against Sabalenka, and Sabalenka was swinging so freely, and it didn't matter if Krachikova tried to extend rallies. It didn't matter if Krachikova tried to play first strike tennis. Sabalenka just was lights out in set number one, took everything away from Krachikova. But what did Krachikova do in set number two? Played with renewed aggression. She just was no longer playing around with Sabalenka from the baseline. No more extended rallies. Get to the net when possible. Put pressure on Sabalenka. Force her to have to do everything on the move. And yes, she's gotten significantly better at doing all of those things. But again, you look for Krechikova uh, ultimately broken once in sets two and three, and you look for her in set number two, perhaps the big number becomes the fact that she goes on to win uh, 79% of her first serve points in set two. She went 75% of them in set number three. Now, you know, the big thing for Sabalenka, the serve really began. She just didn't have a good serving performance today. You look for Sabalenka overall on the day. She, you know, again, was hovering around 50% first serve clip for the duration of the match. Ends up just over that mark, 51.4 for the match. You know, she tossed in, I think it was overall, uh, let's see, I can just pull it up here, five double faults. You know, again, but that 51.5% or 51.4% service per, first serve percentage for Sabalenka today, I believe that's her lowest metric of the season. Yeah, you look for Sabalenka here this year. No, no, she had one in Noskova in the Adelaide final. She was at 42.5%. This is her second worst service performance of the season. And it's only the second time this has happened. She's been over 55% in every match but these two in In the majority of matches, I mean, you can look for her overall first serve percentage right now at hovering at 59%, um, which is actually lower than it was last season, funny enough. Still, the double fault percentage is 6.5%, which is a percent below her career average, 4% lower than last year. She just didn't have the first serve today. And that allowed Krejcikova to play first strike on the return. It allowed Krejcikova to be aggressive in stepping, maybe not inside the baseline, because you still have to respect the Sabalenka second serve, but... You know, being on top of the baseline and being able to take time away. And that's what Krejcikova does so well is, you know, her ground strokes are so compact. She's such an exceptional returner, as evidenced in the 
you know, Hall of Fame amounts of double success she's had in her career. She puts that return at your feet. She just didn't give Sabalenka time to load and, you know, explode through her ground strokes the way Sabalenka has done so freely over the course of these first two months in 2023. I was immensely impressed with the level of Barbara Krejcikova. And it's funny, I was talking about this with Brett Connors. Yes, son of Jimmy Connors, producer at Tennis Channel. We've been I've been fortunate enough to get to do a lot of things with him over the years, and he's become a Dare I say, dear friend, uh, really appreciate all the guidance BC has given me. But we were debating, Krejci- I'm not debating, we were having a love fest about Krejcikova. This is someone he and I have been discussing probably since we did a Tennis Bets for Tennis.com uh, segment, I don't know, at the start of October, like after watching her go to the final in Tallinn. We both kind of looked at each other and said, hey, that looks like 2021 Krejcikova. And she's been that player now for three months consecutively, and that player is a top 10 player. And... I don't know if she's tier one. Yes, she won that French Open. I still think the best, I mean, Sabalenka won a six-love set. It speaks to the fact that if Sabalenka sustains her serving performance, sustains her for how well she was hitting the return. I mean, again, we know what Sabalenka's best can look like. And then she got some double fault yips in the breaker. Um, I don't think she's quite tier one, but I mean, unequivocal tier two. Like if you're asking me Krejcikova versus Jabur right now, I think I'm taking Krejcikova. Obviously, there's some health issues there right now for Shabur, so that's not a fair comparison. But I think Krejcikova-Pagula is a toss-up tomorrow. And look, Pagula 5-2 and two win at the Australian Open. You look for Krejcikova in that match. Did not have a ton of success on serve. It's interesting. I think these Dubai courts are a little bit grittier. I think it just Krejcikova has a little bit more time to explode through her first strike and drive that ball through the court. I do think she'll be able to play with some depth to take away things that, you know, again, it's, it's not going to be easy picking for Jessica Pagula. And by the way, for the record, Barbara Krejcikova since the end of September would be one of just four players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Jessica Pagula would be another one of those players, by the way. Um, look, I think it's going to be a three-setter. Like, I, the question is, how much gas does Krejcikova have left in the tank? She got through in under two hours today. And yes, this will be her fifth match. She's coming off against, again, a Pagula who got in. Surprising day of rest, given the withdrawal she received. She played two and a half hours earlier in this event against Kasekina, although that, again, is a very good win uh, on this gritty surface. I don't know. I think this is a toss-up. It's a stay away, certainly from a gambling perspective, unless you maybe want to take the over for what it's worth. Tennis Abstract a seventy-one has Pagula, excuse me, as a seventy-one point five percent favorite. Pagula one and zero in the career head-to-head, but again, that one matchup happened a month ago at the Australian Open. It's always difficult to beat a player t- twice in two months when all things are equal. And again, I think these are two players who are both very high floor players. I mean, these are. Two of three players inside the top 10 of both the W. Well, I guess Krejcikova's not in the top 10. That's hilarious. I almost talked myself into saying Krejcikova's in the top 10 of the WTA singles rankings. But I think she's top, playing top 10 tennis. And again, she's the number one doubles player in the world right now, or maybe number two behind Sinyakova. I forget which one's where right now. But like, given how good both are at doubles, it's it's a testament to how well-rounded both, uh, both players are. I think we got a three-setter on our hands. I would actually lean... Well, if we see the Pagula who showed up this week, I'd lean Krejcikova. If we get the Pagula of last week after the day of rest, I lean three sets. I'm going to take Krejcikova. I don't feel good about it. I think it's going to be a really good match. Then, of course, on the other side of things, you've got Iga versus Coco. 
Iga, 5-0 and in the career head-to-head. She received the withdrawal today. Coco Goff, very impressive. 2-5 and win over Madison Keys. And, you know, looking for Coco Goff. Shout out to the tennis Twitter account, OptaAce, one of my favorite accounts to read from, to uh, retweet. And I love the stats and the graphics that they produce. You look at our dear friends at OptaAce. They had this gem about Coco Goff. Coco Goff, uh, with her victory over Madison Keys, is the fourth American female player to reach 10 WTA semifinals finals before turning 19 in the last 30 years. Again, 10 semifinals for her in her career at the tour level by 19 years old, uh, before turning 19. Here's the other three women who have done that as Americans in the last 30 years. Lindsay Davenport, Venus Williams, Serena Williams. Yeah, that's a uh, that's pretty good company for Coco Goff to be Keeping, Coco Goff is the first player to feature in two different semifinals in WTA 1000 events before turning 19. She was made the semifinals in Rome, now the semifinals here. No other player had done that in WTA Tour history. Of course, the 1000-level events only began in 2009. With her seventh quarterfinal today at the 1000-level in Dubai, Goff surpassed Caroline Wozniacki for the most quarterfinal appearances by a teenager at WTA 1000-level events. Again, they only started keeping track of that stat since 2009. Generational talent. No doubt about that. And the problem is, again, structurally, generational talent versus generational talent. Iga is just the sort of player built to beat Coco Goff. Iga is the only player on the WTA Tour who could match Goff's athleticism, match her movement, match her fluidity in and out of corners. Iga also hits a heavy topspin ball, which is still the, the only shot that really gives that Coco Goff forehand any sort of difficulty when you get it high on her hip and or high on her, excuse me, shoulder or inside at her hip with action, that forehand will go astray. Iga can also play backhand to backhand with Goff. Maybe, you know, again, one of the five players you can say that about on the WTA Tour. It's just, this is who she's going to have to go through. And again, Iga 5-0 and overall in the career head-to-head. Now, some massive credit needs to go to Coco Goff, who played some really good ball today uh, against, uh, again, Madison Keys. You look for Goff in her 2-5 and five victory. She was up, actually, a set and a break, gave that break back. They were on serve up through 5-all when Coco Goff's able to get the break, but Goff was only broken once in today's match. She faced one break point, and there were a lot of unforced errors from Madison Keys, but that was a testament to the physical pressure Coco Goff sustained on Keys with her fluidity, with that depth that she generates out of the corners anytime she's pushed there. You know, again, you look for Goff. Um, she's one of, I believe, eight players right now on the WTA Tour. Yeah, one of eight players. No. Yeah, one of eight players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. That list right now, again, Sviantek top 10, Pagula top 15, Halep, Jabur both top 20, then Vekic, Boshkova, Alexandrova, and Coco Goff inside the top 25. Checks out. Unless you have a weapon to overwhelm that forehand with, Coco Goff's not going to hand the match away. And, you know, again, you look for Coco Goff so far this season. She wins in Auckland. Lost in the round of 16, Ostapenko. Ostapenko has a weapon to throw Goff's forehand off. 6-1 loss, third set to Kudermatova in uh, Doha. Kudermatova serve the sort of weapon that can still give the Coco Goff return some trouble. But, you know, you look for Coco Goff. She's a top 15 returner right now on the WTA Tour. Coco Goff currently ranking 15th in break percentage. 14th, excuse me, 38.6%. She's 22nd in hold percentage. And, 
again, eye test-wise, you feel more confident in a Coco Goff service game with how big she hits that first serve, how well she hits through that first forehand, how unpredictable it can be when she does have some time to hit it following a big first serve. You'd feel like that, you know, again, I feel like her service game is further along than her return game, and yet the numbers seem to suggest otherwise, at least right now. It's a testament to the continued development of Coco Goff. She gets better in every season that she competes. And by the way, it makes sense. She's still under 19 years old. Um, She should still be getting better. And I've always said that's the scariest part. If she's this good now, what's it going to look like in 2030 when – what, in 2030, how old is Coco Goff? Uh, Seven years from now, Coco Goff will be 25 years old, turning 26. (sighs) Oh, boy. Buckle up. That's exciting. Goff versus Sviantec. Uh, Again, you look, by the way, just for Iga Sviantec, it's another semifinal for Iga. You look for her now over the course of the last 52 weeks. Iga Sviantec has made the semifinal round uh, now of 12 different events. Jessica Pagula into her eighth semifinal in the last 52 weeks. That's tied for second most on the WTA Tour amongst top 50 players. Jessica Pagula hasn't lost before a quarterfinal at an event since August of last season at the City Open. It's ridiculous. She has firmly ensconced herself at that number three position. There is no, I mean, again, Rabakina given the Wimbledon title, I'll listen to an argument too. I think Benchich's best is better right now. But Pagula week in, week out is the most consistent player not named Iga on the WTA tour. And that is a player given the ceiling of Sabalenka who should be in the number three spot behind Iga and Sabalenka. And so, again, this is a really fun round semifinal here. Sviantek versus Goff. Sviantek 5-0 overall, 77.7% favorite against tennis, according to Tennis Abstract. Pagula Krejcikova, Pagula 1-0 overall, and a 71.5% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That's where the 1,000-level event currently stands in Dubai. Let's move next to the ATP action in Doha. Again, I had a front-row seat to Andy Murray, so that's where I want to start my analysis of this ATP 250. Death, taxes, complicated Andy Murray matches. I think that's what we've learned since Murray's, you know, worked his way back onto the tour throughout all of his stints, 2020, 2021, 2022. It's carried over here into 2023. These matches are physical. I mean, again, you look for Andy Murray now, who, by the way, with his victory today, he reaches just his third semifinal since the start of the 2020 season. He reached two semifinals last year, which obviously on his way to the two, uh, tour-level semifinals, I should say, and he ultimately lost in both finals in Sydney, in Stuttgart last season. It's his first semifinal since that Stuttgart final run back at the start of June last year. It's just what the doctor ordered for Andy Murray. Three physical victories, three-set win, uh, 7-6 in the third over Lorenzo Sinego. That was a two-and-a-half-hour match. He earns a three-hour victory, 7-5 in the third over Zverev yesterday. And then today goes up a very quick two-love lead on 26-year-old Alexandra Muller, who can grind. I mean, Muller's had a ton of clay court success of late. Has only made two challenger finals, only one challenger title, but a bunch of quarterfinals under his belt. That's how he's worked his way into the top 200. Muller absorbed, redirected pace extraordinarily well. And, you know, it was funny because Murray races off to this two-love lead. Muller was spraying a little bit, and you thought to yourself, okay, maybe Murray's going to run away with this one. Maybe he's going to get the hour, 10-minute win he needs to go rest up, prepare for a very winnable semifinal against Yuri Lahechka, who knocked out Rublev in three sets. We'll get there in a second. Um, and then Muller rips off four straight games 
and I think made two unforced errors over the course of those four straight games. And I do still continue to think it's very difficult for Andy Murray at this stage of his career to hit through the court from the baseline. Now, he still absorbs, redirects pace extraordinarily well. He's going to work you inch by inch further and further towards the alleys to create a lane for himself to take a ball early on the rise down the line, move in behind. But it's his patterns that open up aggressive opportunities for him. And look, even at his physical prime, Andy Murray was not a guy who was blitzing opponents with pace. But it's a, you know, again, it's a little bit harder for him to manufacture easy first strikes and create free points for himself. You know, he's a three-shot combination sort of guy at this point of his career, and that's a physically taxing game style to play. Of course, he still also has his underlying defensive capabilities, and the fact that he's moving as well as he is, considering he has a fake hip, is remarkable. Shout out to his recovery, his efforts. That surgeon did a hell of a job, clearly. Um, You know, again, Murray was able to play defense with Mueller, but what ultimately won this match was a willingness to play with renewed aggression, was a willingness to take the ball a little bit earlier, move in behind those shots, force Mueller to come up with the pass, and Murray volleys extraordinarily well. He creates space for himself with his patterns extraordinarily well, and Mueller just didn't have a – you know, it was impossible for – I talked about Murray's struggles – Mueller, not a guy who's in the top 100, so you would expect him to struggle with – not struggle, but, you know, there's – why isn't he in the top 100? It's because he doesn't have an easy first strike weapon. It was very difficult outside of do side slice serve out wide first forehand to the open court or behind Murray. That was the most successful pattern for Mueller throughout the course of the match. But if I could recognize that in the commentary booth, only took Murray a set and a half to take that away from Mueller. And, you know, again, it was the consistent depth for Andy Murray on the return of serve. And you look for Murray now, who over the course of his last 52 weeks, 26 and 16 overall, he's holding serve 82% of the time, but the break percentage is finally starting to build its way back. You know, he's up to 22.1%. And um, yeah, again, I it, which is just a significant improvement. You look for him last year, he was at... Uh, 23.1% actually, so that's not bad. 23.4% in 2021. In 2020, he was at 12%. Look, I'm just telling you what I saw with my eyes. The numbers didn't back me there, but uh, yeah, again, a massive credit to uh, no uh, to Andy Murray. Just seven and a half hours on court, 35 years old. You know, Mueller was ready for the fight. There were times in the second set, and Murray's never had the greatest body language, but he just looked out of gas and. Yet he's through to just his third semifinal since the start of the 2020 season. And, you know, you look for Murray now with this result. It's only a 250, but he's going to jump up now in the live rankings back into the top 70. He's currently sitting at number 61. Another victory. He's up to number 50. Two more wins this week. Murray will jump all the way to number 43 in the live rankings with a title. So, you know, look, on paper, He's got Yuri Lachetchka tomorrow, and Lachetchka is actually a 55.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I think Lachetchka should be. I mean, talk about a guy who's just been on a run to start the year. Lachetchka, you know, the win over Zverev, tight match loss against Fritz at United Cup. He then makes a round of 16 in Auckland through qualifying, but, you know, plays a tight three-set match with Cam Norrie, where 
Cam gets him. He, of course, then beats Nori, beats Chorich, beats Felix on his way to his first slam quarterfinal at the Australian Open. And now wins over Zumher, Rusevori, and three sets that come from behind 4-6-6-4-6-3 victory over Andre Rublev to reach the semifinals here in Doha. You look for Yuri Lechechka. Yes, he's had so much success of late. It's only his th- uh, second career tour level semifinal at an ATP uh, at an ATP event. Yes, third if you count the next gen finals, but second non next gen finals. He made the Rotterdam semifinals last year. Now does it here in Doha. Like his service forehand are just a massive weapon combination, and the action on that ball, his ability to hit through the court. He, I don't want to say he exceeded the serve plus one forehand capabilities of. Andre Rublev, but he executed it more efficiently, more consistently here today, and he certainly matched him in that category. And then Lachetchka's a sneaky good mover now. He really is. Like, he hits his backhand with great depth every time, and there's enough pace on that ball. He's clearly springy enough as an athlete. I'd say it's 88% of what we see with Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, but there's more control in the Lachetchka ground stroke and ground stroke approach and game. Lachetchka played really well. He was better than Andre Rublev today. And now you look for Yuri Lachetchka in his career against top 20 opponents. Lachetchka, 5-8 and eight overall. He's earned uh, four of those top 20 victories here in 2023 with wins over Zverev, Nori, FAA, now Andre Rublev. If that, my friends, is not the resume of a top 50 player, if not better, I don't know what is in Lachetchka back up to number 44 in the live rankings with his run to the semifinals here this week. Again, just his second tour-level semifinal outside of the next gen of his career. That is a hell of a run. It's funny. You've got two unseeded players at the top of the draw, Lachetchka and Murray. And then you've got the big dogs. Daniil Medvedev, Felix ogier Aliassim, round six. Medvedev 5-0 and in his career against the Canadian. He gets to this matchup with a tough three-set win over Chris O'Connell. And look, Medvedev beat Felix last week on his way to the Rotterdam title. And Felix today, 4-6, and six, hard-fought, impressive victory. He looks locked in physically and just the serve, the forehand, explode through any court. I don't care what the surface is. Yes, they're most pronounced on an indoor hard court, but you look for Felix today in his 4-6 and six victory over Davidovich Fokina. He wasn't broken. And, you know, again, he won 86% of his first serve points. He's won over 80% of his first serve points in each of the matches that he's played this week in Doha. I mean, again... The question is, how much gas does Daniil Medvedev have left in the tank? He's had to play a tough three-setter here and obviously had to play a bunch of tight matches last week on his way to the title in Rotterdam. Will he have enough juice in the tank to track down ball after ball, the heaviness, and you know deal with the sustained pressure that Felix puts on him? Because Felix is the sort of player who will capitalize on the Medvedev court positioning. And yet, again, it's a matchup traditionally that Medvedev has owned because he does absorb pace so well in his backhand wing. And Felix is most effective when he's hitting forehands from the outside corner, going inside out, inside out, inside in. Medvedev, with his length, his backhand, he takes that pattern away from Felix. I'm locked in. It's going to be really fun. Again, two distinctly different yet, I think, equally entertaining semifinals. Lechechka versus Murray, Medvedev versus Felix. Those are your semifinal matches in Doha as of right now. Medvedev, 43.5% favorite to win the event. Felix, 31.2%. Medvedev, a 56.6% favorite in that matchup against Felix. And then, again, Lechechka, 55.3% favorite uh, over Andy Murray. That's that's not too bad considering it's a 250, one of three tour-level events we have this week. And, you know, again, it's not even the 500 over in 
Rio. But I'm going to save that South American clay court talk for David Gertler. The uh, last ATP event I want to talk about here on this show is the action from Marseille. You look at where things stand now. Quarterfinals are set. Three of your top four seeds still alive in action. And, you know, unfortunately, Yannick Sinner forced to withdraw. Sounds like he picked up some sort of virus and Again, coming off of a title two weeks ago, finals last week in Rotterdam. Certainly no one can knock the 21-year-old Italian for taking the week to recover with the sunshine swing looming. But on paper, Hercots versus Emer, Dimitrov versus Bublik, Bonzi versus Demon, Wawrinka versus Arthur Fees, uh, Fees, excuse me. That's a really fun field. And let's start with Hubi. 4-6-6-3-6-2 over Leandro Riedi. Uh, excuse me, Leandro Riedi. Hercots went 0 for 5 on breakpoint chances in the first set. He got down an early break. He had a million opportunities, but three of the break chances, he just straight up missed the return. There were a couple of big serves, big forehands from Riedi, and I would point out on each of those breakpoints in the first set, Riedi found first serves. Um, look, Leander Riedi can, uh, can play. Now, the issue for him, I suppose, is that forehand grip, Honestly, his game structurally, it reminds me a lot of Laszlo Jura's, just like how he comes under the forehand, how exaggerated that backswing is. I'm telling you, go pull up a video of Rady, pull up a video of Laszlo Jura. Shout out to any listener who is going to hear this and then wants to put together a video of each of their forehand swings just to prove my point correct. I'm telling you, it's the same forehand swing for each guy. And, you know, again, yet for Rady, Rady, I just think he plays a little bit bigger on his serve, I think he's capable of playing a little bit bigger, and there's a little bit more action on his forehand as well. It rips through the court, and then, you know, again, he's very fluid on the backhand wing. I think he moves pretty well for a guy who's 21 years old. He made over 80% of his first serves in the first set. That's what you got to go out and do when you're playing a top 15 player in the world for the first time in your career when you're competing in your first tour-level quarterfinal, but, I mean, again, you look for 80 with his run here this week. He's up to a new career high, number 124 in the live rankings. Rady now a ridiculous 50 and 17. He's won 75% of his matches over the course of the last 52 weeks, of course. A pronounced amount of success at the challenger level as well. He's made four different challenger finals, won two different challenger titles. Again, his junior success came at the junior French. You look at his game, given the exaggerated nature of his forehand, you feel like a slower surface should benefit him. And yet, overall in his career, six of the seven finals he's made have come on hard courts. And his first pro tour quarterfinal comes on an indoor hard court. That's because he's got weapons. He knows how to use them. Displayed exceptional sportsmanship with serving, I think, at 1-2 or 2-3. I think it was the game he got broken. So I'm pretty sure he was serving 2-3 second set. was up 15 love. Ball was clipped the line. Rady went to challenge. The the chair umpire overruled the call, called it out, so Hercots ended up challenging instead. Now, the ball Hercots hit that he challenged did ultimately end up landing good. And rather than replaying the point, Rady said, well, I was going to challenge that call, and because I was going to do that, I would have been incorrect in my challenge, and it would have been your point, so I'm going to award you should be awarded the point, and let's move on, and it's 15-all. Did it come back to bite him? Sort of. Is that the sort of thing the tennis got a reward with a top 100 debut later this season? Absolutely. So I'm all in on Leandro Rady. He's got real weapons. Love the movement. Love the way he composed himself. Love the the structure of every point, how he goes after his first strike. Again, it's unconventional from a technique perspective, and yet you don't win 75% of your matches without being able to do something well. So keep your eye on Leandro Rady. Not going to shock me at all to see him make his top 100 debut this season, but... 
Man, credit to Hoopy. Got broken once in the match in the first set. Was not broken the rest of the way. Wins 90% of his first serve points. Was seemingly finding, you know, ace wide, ace T, unreturned at the body. Can hit every spot on the serve. Yes, still gets a little too inconsistent on his return of serve, and he's going to have to be consistent. He's taking on the ultimate physical challenge tomorrow. Michael Emer, Emer uh, advancing via withdrawal. David Gofan forced to pull out. I believe he also got came down with some sort of virus. But, I mean, look, that's a fun contrast of styles. Emer's going to enjoy absorbing, redirecting the pace provided by Hercots. Hercots, 65.2% favorite, but they're one and one the career head-to-head. I'm excited for that one. I'm excited to watch Grigor versus Bublik as well. Bublik snapped an 11-match losing streak with its first-run win over Krajinovic. Then he gets a straight-set win over Gregoire Bure as well to reach the quarterfinals. Obviously, with his serve, his weapons into that Grigor one-handed backhand, it'll give Grigor some issues. But, man, analytics love Grigor Dimitrov. He would be one of eight guys to rank top 26 in both hold and break percentage. And, I mean, look, for Grigor... Round of 32 Australian Open, he loses to Djokovic. His losses this year are to Djokovic, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev. His last five losses, Medvedev, semifinals Vienna, Alcaraz, round of 16 Paris, Tsitsipas, 7-6 in the third United Cup, Djokovic, Australian Open, Medvedev, Rotterdam, uh, and now again, he's into the quarterfinals here. He should beat Buplik. I-, I think he's playing that well, and you look for Grigor right now. Just quietly sitting at number 25. I feel like he's been in that spot for the last three years. But, you know, again, big semifinal here. Uh, certainly a, a quarterfinal, very winnable match for uh, Dimitrov, although 2-2 in the career head-to-head. You want to grind? Tune into Bonzi Demon Hour. Two guys who can do a little bit of everything. Demon, a straight-set win over Richard to kick off his tournament today. Bonzi, the three-set win over Cressy yesterday, which I believe I discussed uh, on that on yesterday's show. And then, of course, you've got the Stanimal who beats Gasquet in three sets. He's taken on Arthur Fies. Look, the the Frenchman's given, uh, the 18-year-old Frenchman's given fans of French tennis something to celebrate for the first time in a long time. You look for his start to the 2023 season, 13-2 overall is Fies. Two challenger titles, excuse me, a challenger title, a challenger final, semifinals of a 250 where he lost to Sinner and, you know, two weeks ago. And now quarterfinals here, a win over Roman Safilin in round one. He just has weapons and he's quick and he's explosive. And, you know, again, now you look for fees uh, up to a new career high is the 18-year-old 113. That's a good place to be as a teenager. In fact, you look right now, highest ranked players under 19, Arthur Fees, highest ranked player. He's at 113. Fellow Frenchman Luca Van Asche at 149. Jerry Sheng, who just turned 18 years old, sitting at 165. Those are your top 200 under 19-year-olds right now. Now, obviously, the highest ranked teenager in the world is still Carlos Alcaraz, who is sitting at that number two spot. Holger Rune at the number nine spot. Fees is the third highest ranked teenager. I mean, come on now. That's a, that, that's a win for uh, Carlos Elk, uh, for, excuse me, for Arthur Fees, who's just put himself in, I mean, we're going to see him in the French Open main draw. not in his own ranking, I, and I think he will get in on his own ranking, but I guarantee you they'll get a wild card handed his way. And, you know, again, you look at this draw now in Marseille. I like it. 
I like it a lot. I, I do think it's going to be a fun round of action right now. Alex Diemenauer, the favorite to win the event, 33.7. It's probably just because he's got the easier side of the draw in Bonzi, Wawrinka, Fees. No top 40 players. Hercots has to deal with Dimitrov. Emer, uh, Emer obviously has been very good of late, so the analytics like him a little bit more as well. Your favorites tomorrow, according to Tennis Abstract, Hercots, Dimitrov, Diemenauer, Stan Wawrinka, just a 52.5% favorite against Fees. That will be a fascinating match to watch unfold. Maybe your most interesting of the day in Marseille. But again, that's your action happening there. I'm saving the Rio 500 for our South American clay court look with David Gertler. So last but certainly not least, let's talk about the WTA event happening in Mexico this week. I said it at the start of the week. Keep an eye out for the serve, the forehand of Katie McNally. McNally, uh, so far, looking awfully good on her way to the quarterfinals for McNally. She earns a three-set victory over third-seeded Ju Lin, one of the hottest players to start 2023. McNally, 6-1 in the third over Ju Lin, 7-6-6-7-6-1 in the third, I should say. And then she follows it up with a 3-0 win over Katie Volleynets. Again, the serve and forehand combination are top 50. And when she's on her front foot and she has time to assert herself with those weapons, she's just playing on her terms. And she's playing so confidently right now. If you don't have something to hit her off the spot, she's just going to give you the business. She advances to the semifinals where now she's going to take on the qualifier, Kimberly Burrell. Burrell, the 3-2 and two win over Wang Shi Yu. You look at the top quarter of the draw. It's very fun. Alicia Parks versus Rebecca Peterson. Magda Lynette versus Pana Udvardi. Lynette surviving three-set first-round match over Kami Osorio. I mean, look, I want to see Parks McNally. Let's see strength on strength. That would be a really fun All-American semifinal. But, of course, Magda Lynette, credit to her capitalizing. I think that it was her first match since the Australian Open, right? It was, and she gets a victory. It wouldn't have been hard for there to be a hangover for Lynette, who comes in at a career high, number 21 in the rankings, following her first slam semifinal. And yet she gets that three-set victory, uh, you know, gets her bearings back once again. And I mean, look, Sloane Stevens still alive in this event. She earned a straight set win over Jean-Jean in round one. She's going to take on Gracheva in round two. Katarina Sinyakova, your fourth seed, still alive in this event. She'll take on Georgie. Uh, excuse me. She'll take on Bonaventure in the round of 16. Cochiaretto, Georgie, each advancing to the quarterfinal thus far. They uh, are your two bottom half quarterfinals, but not going to face off against one another. So, that's where things stand in Mexico. Again, I owe you all more time on that event. But right now, Magdalene at 23.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Georgie next up at 18.7. Cochireto, 12.7. Parks, 12.2. Katie McNally would factor higher, unfortunately. Again, it's just not entered correctly for some reason in the Tennis Abstract formula right now. But... That's your look at where things stand. Again, a delightful front seat view to so much of the action. It's been such a privilege and a pleasure to be on the call for Tennis Channel's T2 service. A massive thank you to my dear friend Mike Haston for providing that opportunity. And again, we will continue to have the mini breaks rocking and rolling here this week. Hopefully, you now all feel caught up after the dearth of episodes during our national indoors run. But rest assured, every day. 
Sunshine Swing approaching. We know it's our job to get you ready for it. We'll have GSPs talking about some big picture first two month takes coming up in the upcoming weeks, especially next week when I'll have a little bit more free time on my hands. Plenty of college tennis content still rolling your way. Great shot podcast, cracked interviews feed, cracked rackets YouTube channel. Be on the lookout for plenty of announcements regarding our plans for the next few months. And of course, none of those plans would be possible without the efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a up and any job to do day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out to him and a shout out to our friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment on the market with all of that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point and from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone